This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Rasland, today, we have the returns of, um, she is a producer at BFM, and quite possibly the youngest person I know, she is Julian Yap. Hi, <laughs> and he is also a producer, but at the other, other end of the extreme, he's in the morning uh, at BFM, and he is Mikey Gong. I can, I'm probably the oldest person you know, you've met. No, no, we're the same age, Mike. We're the same age. All right, uh, fine. Which is going to come in very useful in a moment, because our three topics this week will be, topic number one is TikTok niches. Topic number two is, is it best to lose willingly? And finally, topic number three will be the time when cats were worshipped as gods. So uh, with topic number one, Julian, Julian Yap is now going to say a bunch of things that myself and Mikey will not understand. And uh, just nod and smile as you yeah. I so, guarantee there'll be no, no understanding on my part here. <laughs> TikTok niches, Julian. Okay, cool. I'm back again with the hot new young thing, which is TikTok. Now, I'm... I wanted to talk about um, a thing that's been going around on TikTok, especially this week, which is um, surprisingly the Ratatouille musical that TikTok has taken upon themselves to create. So it's a bunch of people, um, whoever they may be, wherever they are in the world, if they are a singer, if they're a lyricist, if they're a composer or even a stage manager, maybe um, if they are inspired by the idea of a Ratatouille musical, here is my contribution. Here is my, here are the lyrics. I can't sing, but here you go. Here, please sing this song for me. And it's a great collaboration of a lot of young people on TikTok creating what is a full-length musical of the Disney Pixar film Ratatouille. And this is as bizarre as it sounds to you, as it, <laughs> I think it to anyone. But I was thinking about how incredible and how weirdly specific the uniqueness of TikTok is, especially to young people. And it's kind of like unsurprising to me why it's been adopted so quickly and it's loved so much by Gen Z. So um, TikTok is mostly known for five to 60 second videos of mostly dancing, dancing videos, maybe skits. That's what you usually see. But my favorite part of TikTok, which I found quite entertaining and quite comforting during the MCO, is the little niches of TikTok. So you'll stumble across a guy who every day goes into the forest near his house and he'll pick up different types of mushrooms. Or there's this girl in Scotland who is raising 5,000 tadpoles and she documents it every day as they grow tails and they turn into frogs. And now she's got 5,000 frogs and like what she feeds them every day. There's this person who is trying to raise, a, he's I think maybe 19 years old, he's raising awareness of how to protect marine wildlife in maybe Portland, I think. Someone who flips, you know, furniture, she buys old furniture, she paints it and she resells it. So I find it really endearing. I, I like the dance videos as well, don't get me wrong, they're great. But like also I really love how a lot of people kind of feel like there's a place for them to exhibit all the different parts of their weirdly specific, very niche 
habits or not habits um hobbies and th- there's a place for that and i like that a lot but but can i ask though i mean you have been targeting things which you know which are uh, uh, nice and uh, reaffirming uh, and 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 things like that but presu- i mean presumably in tiktok land that there's also the dark fascistic orwellian stuff as well you could go for that too couldn't you oh yeah of course and i think you get i mean obviously you get that with every single social media but I think especially with, with TikTok, even if you don't choose to consume this more wholesome, nurturing bit of TikTok, I think there's always the idea of there is a platform for you where if you, you are not insignificant, your hobbies matter, your interests, whether they, are, whether they differ from the norm, whether they're weird and very, very niche, there is someone out there who will listen to you and who wants to hear your story. And I think that's that's kind of cool yeah that, that, that sounds great but have you have you actually done anything have you put I'm anything not, no, no so i'm not on tiktok i i i'm just a casual observer right, who right. loves the content I, the ratatouille musical is inspired but so every i mean it's only 60 seconds so this musical is made up of lots of 60 second bits yeah, yeah it's a completely didn't have any organization it just happened organically and you know, it's a pure collaboration of, I can sing, but I can't write lyrics. Can you write the lyrics for me? I can write the music for it. Oh, I can do the lighting design. It's a pure call out for, for um, artistic collaboration among different sorts of theater people, people who want to watch, but they want to write the, the story parts of it. Like, it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, uh, so Mikey, are you, uh, are, are you a member of the TikTok revolution? Are you a TikToker? Are you a TikToker? Definitely, no. I, definitely not. I'm, I'm having trouble actually understanding why someone would be on TikTok in the first place. Uh, first of all, it's not a medium that I participate in. I can see occasionally I come across clips of people dancing and, you know, uh, skits and all that. But and this is the trouble, Julian. Um, I don't get any emotional reaction out of it, either good or bad. I think that's it's fine. Just, I, I mean, it is, it is 60 seconds. It is also sometimes less than 60 seconds, but also it's not necessarily storytelling a lot of the time, but a lot of the time it is. It depends on the creator and how good they are at using the tools that TikTok gives you, but also it is entertainment and it is documentation of, of something at the base of it. I think that's the point. Um, I'm looking for a narrative, but it's hard to tell a story in 60 seconds, right? So you can yeah, I mean, okay, can tell the story no, sixty seconds. That's what TV commercials back in our day. There were TV commercials. Oh. They were sixty seconds at most. And I, I mean, I remember watching uh, Yasmin Ahmad's uh, Petronas ads, mm. uh, Medeka ads. And you know, at the beginning of it, you're in one emotional zone, which is completely nothing really. By the end, you're in floods of tears. And if you can do that in sixty seconds, uh, I think it's amazing. And TikTok can do that. And I, and I, I, I take my hat off too. I'm not on TikTok myself, I mean, but I've seen them on, on Twitter. And so they've been curated through many, many filters by the time they get to, to Twitter. And yeah, I found some of them really, uh, really great. Is Sarah Cooper, Cam, of course. This is Cam saying that he's about to get onto TikTok. No, <laughs> I, I am not. Only because I, I, cannot, I cannot cope with yet another password. I, I'm passworded out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But Julian, I want to ask you quickly then. Um, you haven't done anything. Why don't you do something? And if you did, what would it be? So I don't know how I don't know how legit this is. This might just be a personal thing, but I feel like millennial 
this might be a generalization, but just, you know, going off of Twitter, going off of Facebook, millennials generally do prefer to watch and consume and Generation Z do prefer to create. I don't know if there's any backing to that, but just in terms of, you know, TikTok is a very, it's a very mobile off the cuff thing. They give you all the tools that you need for very simple video creation and no other platforms have done that. They've made video creation and storytelling so accessible, but I've never felt like I needed to use them to tell a story the way that they do now. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll tell you what, after this, the three of us will team up and we, we, will, we will do a musical version of, I don't know, Ben-Hur or something. <laughs> Maybe I will invest a new password and do TikTok. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, we're going to move on to, to Mikey though now, who uh, wants to ask the question or perhaps make the statement that it is perhaps best or would it be best to lose willingly? I'm going to pose it more as a question might it be a good thing if we learn how to lose willingly rather than unwillingly? I know that people will agree that you can't win all the time and that uh, you will lose on occasion. But if you notice, those occasions are usually done unwillingly. I didn't choose to come second or third. It just happened, right? And sure, you can learn lessons from that and mature through failure. There are hundreds, if not thousands of stories of that. That's not what I'm talking about. My point is, well, I'll put the question to both of you. Do you think it's actually a good idea to enter into a situation and lose purposely or deliberately? Wow. What do you think? I mean, I, I could see scenarios where that might be a good thing, you know, I don't know, meant saving somebody's life or something. I'm not quite, uh, I, I'm not sure really. I, I enter into situations and I, dis, I discover that I, I lose. <laughs> so I don't have to do it willingly. It's just going to be the way it is. Uh, Julian? Not at all. I, yes, I just find myself losing, to be honest. And I also don't find myself in a lot of situations where there is an opportunity to win. But I wanted to ask, is there a reason why this came up? Do you, um, No. Well, it just came to me because I've been doing martial arts for years, and particularly I do love uh, jiu-jitsu and judo. And in those situations, invariably, you're going to end up getting put into a chokehold or an arm lock by someone who's better than you. Now, here's the interesting part. There is an opportunity to lose gracefully. That is, you. it's called tapping. So you tap twice, and it's basically a way of saying, I give up. And it's a good reason why you should tap. It's encouraged. It prevents further injuries. It also gives you an opportunity to come back again and reflect on what, what you did wrong, as opposed to getting injured, probably feeling angry about it, having all sorts of negative uh, emotions. And yeah, so it just came from that. Now, it's something that you don't want to participate in. No one wants to tap. I can tell you that from doing years of, uh, of grappling. But it's beneficial to tap. In fact, it's good to tap often to prevent something worse from happening. And I just took it one step further. Would it be a good thing if I entered into an event knowing that I had no chance of winning and therefore questioning the whole process or the whole concept about winning and actually losing on purpose? Well, that's... Uh... It's a crazy idea. Um, I, I, <laughs> yes. no, I, I see. I see. I see where you're coming from, and I think it's it's an interesting conundrum. But uh, you're going to lose anyway, so why not put in your best shot and really try to win it? And it's a bit of a cop out, isn't it? To say, well, actually, they didn't. They don't know this, but actually, I wasn't really trying. I was like, you know. 
Exactly. So how about if you put your situation where you know, you don't even try to win because you know you can't win. I'll give another, a, a quick example. Right now, I could probably run a 3K, 5K race, maybe if I push it at 10. But there's no way I could run a marathon right now. Mm. Probably at a, at a real cost to my health. In fact, I'll just say no, I wouldn't be able to. But why would I not want to enter a marathon, pay the entrance fee, and lose? Just go as far as I go, and then just say, okay, I give up. I don't know, Julian, where? I have to say, this, is, this goes against everything in my nature as a giver upperer, where knowing that I will fail, I don't start. <laughs> yeah. But that is just a personal. I, uh, I'm with Julian there. And, and I think that it's interesting, uh, Mikey, that I think the big difference clearly between you and I is you set yourself a lot of challenges where you have to ask yourself, am I up for this or not? Whereas I'm the kind of like, I'm defeated before I even begin kind of guy. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, I'm not going to do that. Marathon? Are you crazy? But you're actually thinking about marathon, even though you know that it's a hell of a challenge. But I mean, I wouldn't even dream of it. But I know I've got no chance of com completing it. But you're, you're actually, you're still thinking about it. You're still visualizing it. And I think this is a kind of mindset that you kind of, I don't know if, if everyone does this, but it's also a kind of mindset that you want to work towards, right? To build for yourself. You want to make sure that you take the step. This is something that I try to remember. I don't do it, but it is a long-term goal. So is that something that you built up or was that already in your nature? You growing up, you know, every time you approached a problem, did you know you wanted to challenge yourself knowing that you might fail? Uh, no, um, I think like most people, uh, I don't seek to lose. I, I like to win. I think everybody does to some extent. And, I, and Cam's right. I do like challenges and I like push myself to see how far I can go. Obviously, these days, age plays a big part in limiting that, uh, that kind of notion. However, this is the first time I've actually thought about the concept of losing willingly as in on purpose. Uh, yeah, but you know, you're still taking part though, which is where Julia and I, you, you've left yeah. Julia and me because we didn't even take part. <laughs> right. You're mm. still taking part and that's, that's admirable. Okay, so I think I see the point, uh, the difference here. One is about control and one is about the, la the loss of control. You lose, but you've got no say in the matter. In this case, you're actually saying, I have a choice and I choose to lose. Wow, cool. Uh, we're going to have to move on, Mikey, but I want you to tell me where and when this uh, sporting event is, because I'm going to cheer you on. And you're going to be so upset if you discover you actually win the whole damn thing. <laughs> and you really hadn't factored that one in. Um, no, I haven't. No, you're right. <laughs> this is amazing. I've got a quick story, though, with this. Uh, yep. High-speed skating at the Winter Olympics. Four people take part, and it's like really fast, very short course. And the, and the final final, uh, the top three in the world were going hell for leather and they were doing fantastically. And the number four guy, an Australian fella who didn't stand a chance, was just like dawdling around the back, doing the best he could. The front three suddenly fell over each other and completely crashed out before the finishing line. And this Australian fella found himself going over the line as the winner and the gold medalist. That could be you, Mikey. I think I'm going to have to be the last person, the last contestant, and everyone else basically collapsing right in front of me for me to actually win. And then you'd have to give me an extra three hours to complete the course yeah. and catch up and then pass. Well, well meanwhile, uh, Julian and I will just be watching. 
we're watching at home. Yeah. Not even at the stadium. <laughs> so we are, we are the losers, but we did it willingly in a different kind of way. So uh, we're going to move on, though. But uh, in a moment, uh, we will return with talking about the time when cats were worshipped as gods here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Raslan, Julian Yap, and Mike Gong. And now, uh, topic number three, where I'd like to talk about the time when cats were worshipped as gods. Now, if you were listening to A Bit of Culture two weeks ago, you, uh, you, you might remember that I was talking about how my cat was very ill. And uh, yes, he didn't make it. It was, uh, he, he, he died. And my, my wife and I are, are devastated. So I, I, I'd like to pay homage to uh, our brave boy by talking about the time when cats were worshipped as gods. Or actually, perhaps I'm talking about the domestication of the cat, because the cat was domesticated about 11,000 years ago in West Asia, sort of like Turkey, Syria, perhaps a bit of Arabia. And at the same time that sheep were domesticated, pigs, cattle, uh, not horses. Horses were domesticated later. Uh, but the dog was domesticated way earlier, about between 20 to 40,000 years ago. So the relationship with man and dog is like really old and really tight. Um, so cats then spread across uh, Eurasia and <clears throat> became domesticated in China about 5,000 years ago. But the relationship between man and cats was very uh, utilitarian and they were kept to kill rodents uh, and the kind of things that would feast on uh, agricultural uh, products, rice, grain, etc. things that humans were beginning because they're becoming farmers. But then about 3,500 years ago, the cat was domesticated again redomesticated in ancient Egypt. And that was when it really kicked off. So this sort of previously domesticated cat was bred now with a wild cat in from the deserts of uh, Egypt. And um, the, the thing is with ancient Egyptians was that they, their gods, they had many gods, and they were often a mixture of man and animal. They might be half uh, crocodile or, or a beetle, or indeed, of course, cats. So the domestic cat that was in an ancient Egyptian's house was also a god, and uh, which which uh, suits me. And uh, when um, when they died, the Egyptians really uh, cared so much about the cats that they had them mummified, you know, like Tutankhamun and, and the pharaohs. And then when the mummified cat would then be placed in a particular area, some in the, in the Nile Valley. I don't quite know where. But the, 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 actually the kind of the point of my story is how there may have, been, may have been a time when cats were worshipped as God, but it really changed because in the 19th century, these uh, fields, vast fields of mummified cats were rediscovered. And the British, of all people, uh, came along and they scooped up all these cats and they shipped them all the way over to Britain in, in the 19th century. And then they spread them over fields as fertilizer. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Because it was full, they were full of phosphates and, 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 and all the good stuff. Uh, so yeah, there were these fields where, where uh, these mummified cats, where somebody had, had uh, laid to rest uh, tiddles, uh, wrapped him up, worshipped him, and, and now he was just essentially like cow dung being spread on a field and no one cared. And, and so I, I sort of find it interesting that uh, at, at one point a culture would be, would worship a, a, a thing, a creature, uh, but that would be forgotten. 
um, and later on, many thousands of years later, of course, it's just utilitarian. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I struggle to think of how to remember my cat, but I certainly didn't have him as just a thing to catch rodents. I think that we, in our time now, live in a way that's actually very similar to ancient Egyptians, when suddenly in, in the Nile Valley, you had a regularity of the, the flooding and grain harvesting, and there was a certain kind of certainty that life would be okay, whereas <clears throat> other generations of people didn't have that certainty, and the animals around them were purely there not for fun or for worship, but to serve a function. So, you guys, you got pets? I love pets. I love cats and dogs to bits. And here's this cruel thing. I'm actually allergic to them. <gasps> I took an allergy test and found that I was actually allergic to cats. So way off the charts that they couldn't measure it. Oh my God. But guess what? I love cats to bits. If I, and, you know, if I could actually, you know, that would be my first choice of a pet to get a cat. And second, a dog, which I'm actually allergic to as well, but not, not to the same extent. So I think that's a cruel twist of fate in a sense. Yeah. That is Don't you damn think so? Cruel. That is damn hmm. cruel. So you have no cat or dog? Um, I've actually, and occasionally I actually babysit a dog for a friend of ours. And, um, you know, she's a really cute Pomeranian and all that. I would love to babysit cats, you know, or, or you know, I'll, I'll keep anyone's cats for, for a week. But... Just give me an hour or two with a cat and um, I'll probably end up in hospital somewhere. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, you pussy. No, it's, it's not that, but it's been, it's been pretty bad on, on occasion. Um, even with a, hypo, with a so-called hypoallergenic cat. So, yeah. Um, oh, you pussy, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, just fish. Just fish from Mikey. <clears throat> Yeah, do, 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 no, it's not the same though, is it? It's not, no, the, same. not, not the same. Not the same, because we have we have relationships with these uh, mm -hmm. cats and dogs. Uh, all these domesticated animals are animals who are now uh, conditioned accept humans approaching their newborn, mm. which other animals would I mean go completely crazy if a human started approaching them, but yep. dogs especially, they've just given birth. A human can come along, pick up the puppies, and they're going to be okay with that. Because mm. the, and the puppies themselves were all conditioned to each other's faces. We accept them, mm. and and also with cats, uh, Julian. We'll, we'll jump yeah. to you in a moment. Cats, their faces are such that they actually really mimic uh, the same ratios as a human baby. Human babies have very large eyes in proportion to their face. As as oh. humans grow older, the the the, the, the ratio changes. But cats and human babies have the same ratio of sort of eye to face as each other. When we first came across those little cute little wild cats, we were like, oh my God, must domesticate. <laughs> <laughs> we were just simply drawn to them. I'm not going to be able to, like, I, I don't remember the study this was from, I can't recall. But I remember reading somewhere a long time ago about how cats have created all the, the all, maybe 200 different kinds of meows and news because they because of humans because they want to be able to 
communicate different emotions that they have while 200. dogs I, I don't know if that's the real number, to be honest, but there, there is a number. And while dogs don't have as many, I think maybe up to 20, because cats see humans as they, I think, I can't remember exactly what it was, I'm sorry, but it was mostly cats identify humans as just a big cat, just another cat. Whereas dog rec dogs recognize humans as a human, as a different species, as a friendly other being that they want to attach themselves to. I watched maybe two years ago, I think it was 2017 or 2016, um, this documentary called Kedi, which is cat in Turkish. Mm -hmm. It's a story of how in Istanbul, um, the city is full of cats. The, all the streets of Istanbul are full of cats because of how woven into the city's history and the city's culture and their people cats are. And it's an incredibly calming and beautiful documentary very um very recognizable i've never been to istanbul but also feels very much like i've walked those streets because you see them from the people's from you know everyone like the the baker's perspective the fishmonger's perspective but you also see it from the cat's perspective you see different kind the the documentary talks about how there are all the different types of cats how there's one who has the personality of um, you know, the alpha, the alpha cat, it won't let anyone, no, won't let any other cat come in on this street. There's another one who will wait very patiently. You know, this is a cat with manners. So um, he'll sit right outside the door, but, um, but just now when he's hungry. Um, it's a really great documentary. I'd recommend, I'd recommend it. But one thing that really stuck out to me was um, they believe that cats recognize that there is a God. I'm not religious myself, but that was, that seemed important. It, it made them you know, cats have very wise faces, a lot of them, and it, it, it seemed very interesting. It was cats recognize that there is a god, dogs recognize that humans are their gods, and cats have their own lives and their own personalities, and they are, they're not worshipped in the same way that they might have been in the past, but they are integral to um, their society in Istanbul because people don't tolerate them, and they don't, they don't, get rid of, you know, they don't, it, it's not something that, they're not pests. They work themselves into everyone's lives. There's a part where everyone, um, there's a woman who goes around feeding the 200 cats in the neighborhood to make sure that everyone is fed and well and okay. And they've got the antibiotic eye drops for their, for their eyes. And it's, a, it's, it, it's there's a weird um, respect for cats there that I've never seen before here or anywhere I've lived. Wow. Well, 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 thanks for telling us that, uh, Julian. And I am going to watch that documentary. And uh, yeah, we, we, we have to close off this one. But Mikey, I don't know what to say. I mean, uh, I obviously don't go to Istanbul. Uh, but it's going to make me think twice now about going to Istanbul, even though I'd love to actually see the cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just in this situation where you know I miss my my mm. cat so mm. much, and yet the notion of having another cat seems I want one now, but at the same time, like like Julia was saying, I mean, they all have different personalities, and so I would feel like I'm it'd be an act of betrayal. I was thinking, I, so I lost um a, a dog very recently, and go, like thinking back, I was thinking how much I wanted, what I want, what I would have done differently, what I would have spent more time with her or what kind of different kind of food I would have fed her. Um, it's changed my attitude towards my other dogs that I still have. 
um, I don't know if, you know, there's always that, what can I do? Like in, in her memory, what else can I do? How can I love my other dogs better? Mm. And I like, mm. I like that it's, it had an effect on me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, Cam, it doesn't deter me one bit. I still go up to stray cats. I try to talk to them. I try to pet them, feed them. Uh, you know. You'll suffer I'll later. A, I'll suffer. I might suffer later, and I have, but I'll try. It won't, and it hasn't, and it won't deter me. No, you're a you're a martyr to cats. This, this is coming back full circle. Mike is a, like he's willingly losing to pet the cat. Losing. Because they are gods. What yeah. can I say? I love cats. They're beautiful creatures. <laughs> they really are. are. Yeah. Right. So we're going to move on, though, to a final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Julian, go first. Um, I would like to recommend, uh, I think, one of my favorite films from this year, um, since we're closing out the year very quickly now. Um, it is Kajillionaire by Miranda July. Um, it's a story of basically a family, a mother, father, and a daughter, their 26-year-old daughter, who are small-time scammers. They will, they will steal money orders. They will try to get, you know, the little coin that you have left in the parking meter. Small-time scammers. And basically looking at the relationship between parents and kids when you don't let a child be uh, their own person, basically. Telling someone that you aren't, in, you aren't significant you aren't an individual, you have to blend in, and you ha your, what you like, your interests don't matter. You don't deserve the sort of love or the sort of attention that everyone should get because you should be as insignificant as possible. And it is weirdly comedic, not in a ha-ha sort of way, but it is funny and it's very eye-opening and it's fun. I, don't, I think it's not heavy in any way. I think it's a very nice... Um, very light, quirky little watch, which is really fun. Um, the main character is played by Evan Rachel Wood. It's available on YouTube and Amazon to rent and all on the YouTube? regular places. You it's can, you, you can you, you rent from premium, there. I think. Yeah. Oh, right, right. And Apple Great. and stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, wow, sounds really good. I'll check that out. Cajillionaire. Uh, Cajillionaire by Miranda July. Okay, cool. And Mikey, what you got? Right. My recommendation actually relates to uh, your topic today, Ken. Oh. I actually recommend going out and interacting with a pet, be it a cat or a dog. Uh, and when I say interacting, I don't mean just throw it a few scraps of food, hang around, talk to it. I know, no, I haven't gone bonkers, you know, just chill out with it. Why? Because I think in this present stressful time, when the narrative is about COVID and how to get out of it and how we're going to survive. And everyone is talking about it from the youngest person to the oldest and everything, and the whole narrative at, and is filled with it. That's about your, the pure, your purest sense of escape. And if, you, if cats could talk, they'd have no idea what you're talking about. They'd have no idea what's troubling the world or you, you know? And yeah, so that's my recommendation. I know it sounds really weird. Just no, I, I love this so much. Yeah, yeah, that's great. There are actually two stray cats at the moment that uh, I sometimes go out and try to feed with my wife. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. On vacations, they'll take your food and at a time they'll run away from you. And that's all right. That's totally fine. Uh, Mikey, what about those cats that have no hair? 
<laughs> you, would you be? I mean, they're funny looking things, but would you be okay with those? That's the funny thing. My brother has a hairless cat, and I'm allergic to it. Oh no! Uh, I know the, the, cat, the cat or your brother. Maybe it's your brother allergic to. Could be my brother. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. Oh my god! I just don't know what to say. Uh, it um, is what it is, Cam. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh well, that's uh, that's, that's really sweet. Um, mm. Still waters run deep with Mikey Gong. Uh, uh, a fascinating <laughs> character. So uh, my recommendation is something completely different. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I really wanted to have a distraction from feeling miserable about my cat. So I, I bought a book, which I've been wanting to get for ages, an autobiography by a man I'm really fascinated by. His name is Niall Rogers. Uh, Niall Rogers is uh, one of music's geniuses. He was the man behind uh, Chic, I don't know if you remember yeah. the disco phenomenon called Chic back in yep. the 70s. And the Chic is a freak. That's right. Oh. That's the one. That's right. Uh, and uh, in fact, his book is called, uh, Niall Rogers, Le Freak, uh, story about survival and families. And he, he went on to be, <clears throat> become a producer for the likes of David Bowie, Madonna, um, uh, Duran Duran, uh, just everybody, Paul Simon, you know, all of them. And he's a survivor and he shouldn't have survived. He should have died a long time ago. But like Keith Richards, he somehow managed to keep going. And it's just a fascinating story yeah. that he's written in his book. And um, it's, um, he's funny, he's a great storyteller and he's very honest about his life and, and his life of excesses and his family, what a crazy family. <laughs> What's your secret to survival, Cam? His secret to survival. Yes. Um, and I think he kind of puts it down to just the luck of the draw with his genes. Mm. Other, people, <clears throat> other people submitted themselves to self-destructive lifestyle and they destroyed themselves. But somehow he manages to, to just keep going. Uh, he's a reformed character now. But uh, it's a great book, uh, Niall Rogers, Le Freak. Uh, in fact, uh, producer Ali has said that we can play out with one of his songs, um, <clears throat> the classic, most famous, the one that everybody would know, which is Le Freak. Freak. Um, Fantastic. It's a great song. Oh, see, Mikey and I. Uh, are you familiar with the... Uh... I didn't know it when you said Chic, but now, but when, when Mike said Le Freak, I, I do know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great song. So um, that's my recommendation, which is the book by uh, Niall Rogers. And in a short while, when we close off, we're going to play out with one of his songs, La Freak. And so it now only remains for me now to thank our guests, uh, Julian Yap. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cam and Mikey. Uh, and Mikey Gong, who I, I learned something new about you each time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, this has been eye-opening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you, Cam. And thank you, Julian, for teaching me about TikTok. I'm going to have another look at it. <laughs> you, you've actually got me fascinated about it. Seriously. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. Uh, Mikey, if you do um, it. I'm not going to be on TikTok, but I will actually have a look at more videos. Uh, oh my well, God. Especially the Ratatouille one. That's, that's actually caught my fancy. I'll send you some links. Ah, good, good. Okay, I will invest effort in one more <laughs> password. What the heck? So please join us next week for another exciting episode of Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9 as we listen to our Freak Out. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station. <laughs>